I'm not Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite podcast on the Citadel. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Matt. I'm hosting. This is the Blizzard Watch podcast. That was a reference to the pre-show, so I hope you were listening. Um, with me this week are Joe and Liz. We're doing the first podcast of 2022. Technically wow. not the first podcast of 2022, because we did one on New Year's Day. We did. Yeah. We we did a tavern watch that you should go listen to. I'm sure it'll be up by the time you hear this. Already and up. It's already yeah, up for it's, pa- it's already up for Patreon supporters. Throwing yeah, there it out go. there. They get early access so to the uncut version. Is so yeah, there you go. Um you should go listen to it. It was cool. We got to talk about a lot of stuff. Um then of course I kinda got completely physically and mentally wiped out and was not able to record Lore Watch the net following day. That was my bad. I just was not measuring my time at all well. Uh, but here we are doing this podcast. So it's the first Blizzard Watch podcast of 2022. Uh, let's see. You got some top stories here that we should talk about real fast. But before we do, I want to ask you guys going into 2022, what's the primary thing that you're looking for in a game? Like when you look for new games, if you look for new games, what do you look for? And if you don't look for new games, are you are you the kind of person who like just goes to Steam and sees what's cheap? Or do you just have old favorites you go back to? And I'm going to start with Liz. Uh, I mean, I always look for story games. I love a good story, no matter what what kind of genre it is. And I want I want a game with a meaty story, and I'll play games with different sorts of gameplay and different casual games or serious hardcore games. Uh, I want a narrative. I want a cool narrative, and I think that's one of the reasons I keep going back to Mass Effect because there's not a lot of people out there making these big meaty RPGs like Mass Effect and Dragon Age anymore. All right, uh, Joe. Uh, it depends on my mood. It it's varied. Sometimes I really want like an in depth like story. I want something that's going to be like really like immersive. Uh, sometimes I just want to beat things up. Uh, and you know I'll go accordingly with that. Uh, or sometimes I look for replayability. The vast majority of my game collection tends to be like roguelikes and roguelites. Um, just because I tend to gravitate towards them as sort of like my pickup put down games. Uh, so quick things like Dandy Ace or Binding of Isaac and stuff like that so that I can, you know, do a run, get a run done in like a half an hour or whatever, feel like I've done something and then move on to something else. That Not to say that I don't have other games that I'm looking forward to or other ones that like fill certain criteria, but it's it's all about what mood I'm in at the time because like my, my collection's eclectic. It's all over the place. Um, yeah. Yeah. So sometimes I want a story, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I want to beat them up, sometimes I don't. It all, all depends. What about you, Matt? Uh, well, for me, first off, I have this thing where people just want me to play games. I and noticed. Will, and will buy those games for me. I'm not kidding. Liz, you're not the only person to do this. I got Baldur's <laughs> Gate 3 um, pre-access because one of our readers bought it and gave it to me. Yeah, I got, I got <laughs> access to... I, I made a comment offhand on Twitter about... Uh, wanting to play through the the last Marvel versus Capcom game because it was see, the story mode seemed weird and then it magically showed up in my my Steam game. Like, yeah, and <laughs> like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, somebody we used to work with bought that and gave it to me um, because I'd liked Odyssey and so they were like, yeah, you'll totally love this. Um, so that happens to me fairly frequently. And the other thing that happens is people will talk about a game so much that I go try it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for instance, Joe with Cyberpunk got me to try Cyberpunk. And then, of course, I played Cyberpunk for almost a year straight. And then Matt um, got me with that, uh, Valhalla because yeah. that was the thing we traded back and forth on. And uh, the other thing is that, like, for instance, I, I like, you know, money is really tight around here. So 
it's usually the end of the year before I can even think about getting any new games. And then only if I get like, you know, Christmas money or something like, a, like a lot of people realize since my eyes are going, they can't just buy me books anymore because I, mm. it, a paperback book is not very usable by me. Whereas a tablet I can use because I can change the, the background to black with white letters and I can see it. Um, as a result, I get a lot of Amazon cards, but I already have most of the stuff I want on Kindle for Amazon. I, I just, I do, I already have it. So I, this year, like, I think I got something like $400 worth of Amazon cards, like from various people giving me that's, that's what they gave me for Christmas, like for, or for my birthday. So I, I logged them all in and I, I did, I bought a bunch of books on, on Kindle, of course, because, you know, even though I just said I usually have all I want, I, I for instance, picked up a, a ton of Tom Taylor's all new Wolverine because it stars Laura Kinney, uh, X-23 as Wolverine because Wolverine at the time, Logan was melted into a big puddle of adamantium and he was technically dead. So it was like, suddenly the book could be good and interesting because the main character wasn't just the best there is what to do. Uh, and they, they quickly have like her clone sister shows up and is just great. Gabby. Um, she's wonderful. And she gets a pet Wolverine and the pet Wolverine is also a great character. And at one point it gets a speech translating device. So the pet Wolverine can now talk to people. Uh, yeah, it's, it is a really great comic, but I'm digressing pretty hard because here's the thing that I wanted to mention was that I almost bought guardians of the galaxy because I had all this, this Amazon money. And then I'm like, Guardians of the Galaxy looks like a pretty good game. And then Liz was like, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get you. Actually, you did this before I got the cards, but you got me Mass Effect. So now I'm like, really want to play Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> so I just picked that up with the last of my Amazon money. You will not be uh, disappointed. But it, it's still being shipped to me. And so I don't know when I'll get it. Um, it'll probably be relatively soon. Yeah. So Guardians of the Galaxy is the, is the next one up. After, but I'll, that won't be until I finish Mass Effect again. I, I, won't, I won't make myself finish the whole trilogy. I'll just finish Mass Effect 1 and then I'll play Guardians of the Galaxy and then I'll go back to Mass Effect because I really want to finish my story but yeah I, that's how it tends to happen for me is people suggest things people they flat out buy me things people tell me I should play this and that's generally where I get a lot of it from or it's just something like Greedfall where I'm the one that finds it and nobody else has ever heard of it and I'm constantly going to people going you have to try Greedfall um so yeah it's like that but that has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. It's not even a good segue, but nevertheless, we are <laughs> going to do this segue because we do have some new stuff we should talk about. Um, we're getting PTR updates for patch 9.2 fairly soon. Um, there's raid testing this weekend. Yeah. Uh, so I is, think, I think they're going to have to roll out new raid stuff, but we know we're going to get more 9.2 stuff this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, early this year. This most likely 9.2 is going to be coming out in a month or two. In my opinion, and hopefully we'll have uh, Sylvanas killed by then. <sighs> oh boy, oh, that's a that's a whole thing. That's a whole thing, Joe. I have not heard good things about that fight. Ah, uh, it's a fight. Do we have time for me to rant? Because I could rant. Yeah, sure. Why not? It's the first show of 2022. We it is the longest damn fight I have ever had in an MMO period, and half of it doesn't even need to be there. It's also buggy as hell. Like it, it's it. The concept is cool on paper, but it's at best a 13 minute fight with a phase that is literally nothing uh, except for like just dealing with ads and then bridges that you can phase through, even if you walk on them perfectly and Padilla in chat 50.2%, uh, try 50.01%. That was our wipe 50.01%. 
one tenth of a percent from victory. So yeah, she she switches over at fifty percent. At fifty percent, yeah. People who don't know that. Sorry, uh, but it was just one of those things where it's like even if you do everything right, it's 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 grueling at a just because of the length of it. And I again, like I like the first phase. I like the third phase. The second phase just doesn't need to be there. So I hope that the new raids that they're testing don't have a raid fight like this because we already had it with Denathrius and I don't need it again. <laughs> yeah, the, the last boss in, in both of these instances in both Shadowlands raids ha- has kind of a daunting effect once you go up to Heroic. It's it's not fun. They're just really long fights. I know we were doing uh, working on Heroic Sylvanas last night and uh, the last pull i fell through the bridge and i i did not see what i fell through i was you just didn't. running and then you i was just, falling you, you phase through it's the same thing that happened to me it's the same thing that's happened to a bunch of other people you can be sitting on the middle of the platform and it seems to only happen on thralls ones like specifically Ugh, thralls thrall. platforms thrall, when he raises the bridge guy. you can you literally can phase right through them i don't know why yeah it's it, it's it's just grueling and like i lay shen was a long fight and there's a lot of stuff to do there but I never felt as grueling as this. And I mean, I used to do like we did Nax Ramis, we did AQ 40 back in the day at level. And those were long fights when you were figuring them out. Nothing compares to, to just the length of this. It's, I don't know. I just don't get it. And I'm hoping that circling back to the actual root of the story with them testing the fights and the raid stuff for 9.2, that we're not going to get something that's that long again. It's just, it's too long. It's too yeah, much hope, with no break. I really hope they've learned something because I mean, it's an interesting fight. But, um, you know, I'm all we're also like 200 pulls in on heroic Sylvanas. And you are these done. Are, you are these are ready. For yeah, this real. these are over 10 minute pulls. And it's just it is grueling. It is grueling. You have spent 2000 minutes it, of your life trying to kill uh, Sylvanas at this point. And the, and the fact that yeah. the fact that we had that wipe so close to 50.01.01 percent. It's, yeah, just, it's was, demoralizing to a certain at this point. point. Just let the dots tick over and kill her. Come on. Oh, but here's the other thing that's really wacky about it. Like normally we could do that. And I don't know why on this fight it's not doing it. But there are a couple things that are also really buggy. Like randomly on this fight, I can't use reincarnate. And I think it has something to do with moving between platforms. But it's been even when it's on the same platform that I die, like the last platform, I will intentionally because I have a habit of intentionally killing myself in raid for mana so I can pop back up and actually have mana to heal at like the, the 11th hour. Right. I've been doing this for years. And so I did that last night on one of our attempts because I was literally running on fumes and it wouldn't let me reincarnate. There's still people going. There were still six people alive and like it just would not let me push the button. No idea why, but it's not the first time it's done that. Uh, Other people would get my reincarnate button showing up on their screen. And it's just like it it seems like there's there's like a ton of weird technical issues. And if a fight's going to be that long, it needs to not have those technical issues. And I'm not saying that, and again, I'm the first proponent that says, like, programming video games is, is not exactly an easy task, especially for something like that. But it's just, yeah, it, there, too many things go wrong or sideways when it comes to, like, that particular fight. I don't get it. Well, you've heard them, Blizz. Test your fights more, <laughs> yes. Um, But, yeah, they're going to be doing that. So, uh, also should mention the Diablo 2, uh, it's got its 2.4 PTR with the various it, class balancing changes that's it, supposedly going to go live earlier this year. 
Yes, I I was just trying to cut in to say it's not live yet. Yeah, no, I was getting there. Um, but yeah, that's that's expected to happen sometime this year, maybe this month. Yeah, um, I mean they said they said early, early this year. I would yeah. expect this month. So uh, I'm going to say up front, you should go give that a check a check out if you're into Diablo Two uh, oh, yeah. Resurrected because you it is interesting to see what they're doing. Um, they are making some 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 really significant changes. Uh, trying to make the class balance work, trying to make it so that you can play a class that not every class has one prescribed build and that's it. Uh, that the only thing you can do once you get above like, you know, hell difficulty and I get where they're going for it. And I, I'm interested to see what happens with it, but I don't think there's a lot more else to say about that one. Uh, mm-hmm. Overwatch's winter wonderland is ending in two days from now as we record this. So that's January 6th, yeah. January 6th. January 6th. Uh, that's Thursday. And the Darkening of Tristram for Diablo 3, that anniversary event, is live. I think it went live on the, the New Year's Eve or New Year's yeah. Day? Yeah. The 3rd. Okay, it went live on the 3rd? Oh, okay. Interesting. So that went live on Monday, and it is live now, and it'll be live through the end of the month. So if you want to get the the uh, Butcher's Cleaver transmog or the, the... Isn't there a pet, or am I misremembering this? I believe there's a Diablo pet. Yeah. There's a There's stuff. There's stuff you can get. We all love stuff. So if you want to get that stuff, you can go do that. Um, But I mean, obviously it's a fairly slow week for news. They, you know, the company actually had a Christmas break. Um, Things are happening. (sighs) The, you know, the, there's a whole bunch of Activision workers on strike right now. Uh, I guess we should talk about that briefly. We should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Basically uh, Raven the one of the co- the companies that under the Activision umbrella that works, I believe, it, is it Call of Duty they work? I, I forget yeah, what I game it's it Call is. Duty. But but they've um they've been on strike. Their Q and A department went on strike three weeks ago because they laid off a whole bunch of Q and A workers after they told them that they should move to a new area and get places to live and all that. Um, and they were like, no, uh, we're not taking this anymore. So they went on strike. They've been on strike for three weeks. Activision hasn't even responded in that time. Raven ha- does not have a Q&A department. Yep. They don't have a QA department at all. And that means there's no QA on the game as it's being played over the holidays. No, there's nobody to report, to report bugs to. There's nobody to fix them. You know, I mean, cause they can't fix them since they don't know what they are. That step is gone. Uh, so when Joe was talking about the Sylvanas fight, I found myself wondering how much Activision's um, slapdash approach to QA causes problems like that uh, maybe the, the fight doesn't get tested properly because they don't really value their qa and this this thing with raven absolutely shows that oh, spoilers uh, most, go ahead, tech, Joe. most tech industry does not value their qa yeah absolutely uh, so um, there's not new there the, we get one per show and i'm going to use it here because i think it's appropriate there's a there's a saying that working in software i have heard way too often which is fuck it we'll test it in production um if you've ever heard that sentence do not work for that company. Uh, that means that they have no QA and they're going to leverage whatever it is to have their like their end users or consumers test it live uh, instead of actually investing in a QA backend. But it, it, QA is often the least thought about. It 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 might actually be a tie between them and like customer service, like people that take phone call call center for like least valuable uh, in corporate eyes which is far from the truth, right? Like you need solid QA. You need 
uh, a department that can actually look at your stuff, try to test it with actual like proven methods to try to break your code and product as much as possible before it ships and goes live. Uh, yeah, it's it's bad when and, and I wouldn't be surprised like I've I know enough people and I think we all collectively know enough people that has worked for QA for Blizzard and for other tech game companies in general. And it's no surprise that they don't treat their QA employees well. Like Activision is, it's not a surprise. So yeah, I'm not. Yeah, you won't hear about you at Ubisoft sometime. Oh, yeah, God. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that that moves us on. I think to something. I think all three of us probably have our own opinions and stuff on. But it's 2022. Um, we're kind of looking forward because that's what you do when a new year comes along. And I've been thinking about what I want to see in the gaming industry uh, and what I want to see in games in general. Not just the kind of games I want to play and see that way, but also what I want to see industry-wide. Um, there's a lot of things. However, I'm less interested in what I think than I am in what you guys think, because that means I can take a sip of this drink right here, and my throat's <laughs> already getting parched because I'm talking a lot. Uh, so I'm going to throw this out. Um, I threw Liz under the bus the first time, so I'm going to throw <laughs> Joe under the bus this time. Give us some, you know, talk about what you think you want to see in 2022. I mean, first, I want to see Bobby Kotick walk out the door. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to see top down level change. I want to see actual like executive accountability. I want to see actual like starting to care about the people that make these games because there's this pervasive culture where like everybody at the top thinks that they're, everybody at the bottom is either expendable or, you know, they're just cogs in a, a machine. And that is unfortunately the the way things have been for decades. I would love to see that start to shift. I would love to see the people that we know that work on these games start to get the respect, the uh, safety, the attention that they require. Uh, I would love to see them be able to be happy to go to work again. Uh, I would love to not have to see Blizzard or Activision in the news cycle and wonder what the damage report is today. Um, and then I would like to see, because all, all that, what that actually is going to do is lead to better games, better delivery cycle, more consistent development, which is what they say that they're always trying to do. But crunch culture doesn't do that. Treating your employees with respect and doing things like, I don't know, hiring an appropriate amount of people and paying them an appropriate wage that motivates them to work. That's what gets it done. And I would love to see the game industry as a whole start to actually realize that because what you're going to wind up doing is all these talented people, these people that have made all these games that we we love and adore are going to walk away. They're going to look they're either going to burn out of the industry uh, or they're going to look for something else. If we're lucky, they'll stay in the industry and make games like I know some people have done. They've gone to the independent market and, and produced independent games. But like I want them to do this because I want World of Warcraft to be around for another 10 years. I want Diablo to have a good franchise. I want uh, StarCraft to have something happen to it that is in a positive manner. I want to see something come out of these IPs that they we know that they've been working on for X amount of time that we haven't heard from because they're not either doing what they're supposed to be doing or... <sighs> Well, wave my hand at all. I'm gesturing wildly because I'm talking with my hands here. You can't see it because audio media, but I would love to see them start focusing on that and not have to worry about what sexual harassment lawsuits going to come out or That's, uh, not what that I, what you're saying is very serious, but I can't help when you make the comment about waving your hands around to remember that you playing an Elcor and why you were good at it. Yeah. I, it's be, 
because you're the, used to narrating your gestures. So the the joke the joke here, folks, is I'm used to narrating my gestures because I'm used to talking with my hands because I was raised by an Italian and Puerto Rican family, which is stereotypically known for being very emotive with their hands when speaking. <laughs> you try try to have a dinner with my great grandmother sometime. All right, we're gonna move this to Liz now. Um, pretty much same question. So 2022, what do you want to say? Uh, wow. Well, Joe took the took the serious one, and I'll reiterate that. Unhappy workers don't make good games. They don't make their best games. Stressed out people do not do their best work. And uh, the game industry is not a happy place to work. So yes, seconding all Joe said, um, I mentioned this earlier about, um, you know, I really love kind of these big story driven RPGs. And I'd like to see kind of where the industry is going in that direction. Because we have uh, Bioware, who's always been a go-to for this kind of game. But their last release was Anthem, which was very story-light. Not their usual genre. And, um, you know, I know they're working on things, but we haven't seen anything of them. And, you know, we had Telltale, which did these really neat story-driven games. uh, Much more casual, but they were super fun. And they aren't, uh, they are gone. And I just, what's next for gaming? I mean, we've seen Ubisoft pick up some of this with Assassin's Creed. Not quite the same, but similar. But so what's the next big thing for story-driven games and who's going to do it? Because a lot of the places I used to go for games like this aren't there. So what's what's happening? Who's going to pick up this torch and start making these games? Or is it even practical to make games like this anymore? These huge blockbuster games with tons of characters and voice acting and branching choices that go in every direction. Is it really possible or practical to make a giant epic game like that anymore? I don't know because uh, we don't, we don't really have anything quite on the scale of like, if you're looking at a mass effect, we don't quite have anything like that anymore. At least I don't feel that we do. Y'all may think differently. Didn't they reopen Telltale in some, some it's, yeah, manner? It's basically not the same company. It's, I mean, it's like saying that you know they someone else bought the rights to Kingdoms of Amalur, so they made they're making Amalur again. Yeah, but it's not the same people. Oh yeah, thanks, Padilla. Yeah. I'm going to throw this in real quick before I move on. Yeah, can we not have the gaming industry embrace NFT and blockchains? That would also be swell. Like let, let's oh, let's gosh. kick that let's kick that into the into the trash bin right now while we're at it. That'd be great for 2022. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm looking at you. Head of Sony, with your <laughs> baffling, baffling Squeenix. email. Yeah, Squeenix. My my apologies. Your baffling, baffling little broadcast about how you know pl- playing to 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 have fun is you know fine and dandy, but we want people who play to earn. Like, oh my god, just come right out. I guess I've started talking about mine. Um, <laughs> that, that, that <laughs> attitude. I I. I am okay with microtransactions. I am even okay with games as a service if, if that's the approach you want to take to your game. It doesn't really bother me um, because as long games as, it's as not a predatory. service, even even yeah, as long as it's not basically just trying to like you know make people destitute. Uh, but you know, if you want to like have a game where you've got a bunch of skins you can buy, that's fine. Like I don't care. I I probably won't buy them. Unless they're in Odyssey, in which case I might eventually buy them because, you know, I, I literally would do anything for that game. But 
it's fine. That kind of thing is fine. But NFTs are so ridiculously antithetical to the concept of what I come to video games for. I do not come to video games for them to be a job that I don't get paid for. This is what you are trying to make the gaming industry with this concept of NFTs. And if you, you only have to look so far as what Ubisoft did with NFTs to see that they are not successful. They are woefully unsuccessful. If you'd use the same amount of effort to make that skin available for a ridiculous amount of money, but let anybody with that money have it, you'd have made more money than with this idea of exclusivity. Like you only one person will get to own this in the game. No, this is ridiculous. Um, And it's not just NFTs. It's this entire idea that there's a, that, that playing video games because you want to play video games, to have fun, to relax, to, to decompress, to, for whatever your reasoning, you know, they, they're keep, they keep acting like there has to be a specific mindset that's out to improve the game. It's like, no, it is not necessarily my job to improve the game for you guys. Uh, I'm buying the game. I'm playing the game. There's a, it's the same mentality that, that leads to the idea that, you know, games shouldn't have an easy mode. Like there shouldn't be difficulty levels. You just all games should be super hard. Dark Souls likes everything should always be like super hard. And you should, you know, you should be like proud of your accomplishment. If you even clear it, and it's like, that's fine. If that's what you want, I am totally okay with them making as many dark souls as they want to. If they want to make a game where that's the model fine, but it's not the only model for gameplay. And this notion it is. I think it's all tied up in the same stuff. It's tied up in the corporate culture that depends on crunch. It's tied up in not respecting workers. It's tied up in the rampant, rampant misogyny and every level from gamers to game developers. Uh, like how many, like I can't browse videos on YouTube without some video, someone frothing at the mouth, angry because a game has a female protagonist canonically. And it just keeps happening. Like, no, we, we have got to, grow the heck up you already took the swear so i stopped myself um sorry we've got to grow up on this no it's fine <laughs> we've got to grow up on this it is well past time uh and using the word grow up isn't even right because it's this isn't a this isn't an age thing it's not a juvenility thing it's smug entitlement at every level and it is toxic to a, it is you see it in our society too like the idea people will sneer at people who work in a grocery store or people who do, who are delivery drivers or people who work at, at, in the kitchen at a restaurant it's like dude we just saw the past year and a half that if you don't have those people your society falls apart mm-hmm. you don't have long oh, truck drivers your video going. game isn't getting anywhere yep and that's like some one of the things i want to see for gaming in in 2022 is workers just get to stay home and work from home period that should just be a thing from now on uh, you shouldn't have to go into an office to, to work on a video game or really at all. But yeah, I, that's in addition to all that, um, I, everything Liz said about story games, I would love to see more story games. I'm hoping the new mass effect is really good. I'm hoping the new dragon age is really good. Um, I'm really looking forward to the cyberpunk DLC. That's supposed to, to add a whole bunch of stuff like transmog. Uh, I'm also angry with you for adding transmog now because it's been a year and I've had yeah, to do without transmog this yeah, whole time. And now we're going to go into getting sucked back in and you're going to see me and Matt forgetting that podcast exists. No, no, I won't. I won't forget the podcast exists. We'll just I be playing just while the up. podcast is going on. Yeah, that's it's fine. <laughs> the podcast but, will just become a Matt and Joe play Cyberpunk 2077 live stream. Well, we could do a live stream of that. That would be interesting. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I think at this point we're going to move on. And go to your emails and, and talk about some questions. Uh, again, if you have a podcast-related question or you know of any kind, really, 
uh, we're kind of branching out. We're, t- we're talking about other games. It's not just uh, WoW or Blizzard games. If you have a different game you want to talk to us about, we will also look at those. Uh, you can send these to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch so we know it's for this show. Or you can go to our Discord servers. You can go to our Patreon Q and podcast questions channel first. That's where we look first for questions on our Discord because that is the entire purpose of us having a, a, a Patreon so you guys can support us and in return we can use your questions. It's it's a win-win for everybody. Symbiotic but we relationship. Do, yep, but we do also take questions from other people who are not patrons because you know we do appreciate your support as well. That's the Q questions channel. Feel free to use that and ask us stuff there. I almost used one today, but it was for Lore Watch, so I didn't use it. I deserve a medal. Uh, okay. <laughs> for these questions... Man, my throat's going again. Uh, for these questions, this first one, I'm going to have Joe read it, and he'll know why as soon as he starts. Yeah, I already know, because I was the one that responded to it in the Discord channel. So this one comes from Adele. Uh, it's, so, this isn't a question as much, uh, but could we have some talk about Cyberpunk 2077 in any podcast? I just finished my first playthrough, and oh, what a ride it was. Uh, as the game has been out for more over a year now, more spoiler discussion should be appropriate, question mark. Uh, like, who possibly is trying to hack Parallel's brain? Uh, what will come of Arasaka Corp? And what about cyberspace? What there could be for discovery? What will come of autonomous AIs? And so, so much more. Uh, and do you want me to group the other one in there too, Matt? Yeah, I figured what that. Uh, and this is also from Adele, which is, and more about gameplay. As much fun as it was running a quick hack Netrunner build with Legendary Contagion and Legendary Short Circuit, I still think the quick hacking UI is a bit clunky when it acts as your main way of doing damage. Oh, uh, he is not wrong there. He is not. It is it is stupidly powerful. Before, before we start going, uh, Liz, have you even looked at Cyberpunk 2077? I know it exists. I have not played it, and I do not own it. I apologize in advance. <laughs> do, you care, do you care about spoilers? Uh, well, I guess I can't care about spoilers because we're. You I can, don't. You can, not you, really. If you, you know, if you want, you could leave, <laughs> or we could, you know, just, spoil I'm, ourselves. I'm just, I'm just gonna take a little nap over here and drink some water. Over. Seriously, it's necessary. <laughs> well, all right. I guess I'm going for it. Yeah, go for it, Matt. <sighs> uh, some of the stuff you're asking. We just don't know, um, like the Paralyzes deal. I think it is very interesting that what's happening to the Paralyzes and to other people, you see other people when you, you link into the van and start checking it out. It's similar to what's happening to you, but it's not the same. And, and it makes me think that there is humans are working on a way to, to extend their lives by, by basically digitizing their personalities and then using a chip to, to implant them in new bodies. That's something you see in the game. Really? I think from the AI side of things, they're looking for a way to create sleeper agents, but the ultimate goal is probably very similar to the relic in that you might very well download an AI into a human body. So there's some really heavy hints about that being a thing. Cause that's, that's like the whole, like three out of the five, really the endings is like sort of that idea. I mean, it's one of the ba- main story beats about the entire thing. It, it's, I don't mean to cut you off and I'm sorry, but like, it's one of those no, things where like, I, I think about this all the time, especially the cyberspace stuff. Cyberspace is one of those things that never really truly got fully fleshed out in the tabletop game, not in the way that this game decided to go, which was very much like this, this esoteric, like it was, it's a replacement for essentially the afterlife, right? 
it's almost analogous to humanity created the cyberspace. Humanity created essentially the neural net, uh, and as a result, created God. <laughs> so they created an afterlife. They created a well of souls almost by doing so. And that's one of the interesting things I think about this game is that it really sort sort of explores that, which is a concept that like was touched on back when when Mike Pondsmith originally talked about cyberspace in general. It also falls in line with a lot of what people thought the internet was going to be at the time of that writing. Yeah. Uh, so the thing here's the thing that I want to bring up real fast, please. The the thing that happens to Alt, yeah, is not yeah. unique to this game. No, that's in her original backstory. Yes. The bit with Johnny attacking Arasaka, the bit with what happens to Alt, that's all in the original game. That's all 2020. That yeah. Um, the difference was that they never said what happened after. Yes. And now in Cyberpunk 2077, you see what happens after. And that's interesting, too. There's a lot. I mean, I I, I don't recommend this one to Liz. Uh, I've never done so. I've, I've asked a couple of times, but I've never recommended it to Liz because I honestly don't know if it would be a game that she would. Hmm. Um, but in terms of the story, if you want a story rich game, this is one. And what's really interesting about it is it's the, it's the stuff that isn't the main storyline itself. Yeah. That is yep. so compelling. There are like the Paralysis quest that's mentioned here. It's, it's really a big, you, you, you will sit and you will think, what does, what does identity mean? If your memories can be edited, if people can go in and change what you remember, what is who you are anymore? Like at one point, um, Paralysis wife is saying, yeah, he doesn't even read anymore. He used to have, he doesn't even remember his favorite book. Uh, his, his, his favorite movie is different now. Those little things. I mean, that's not a big deal, right? So now you look like a different book now or whatever, but think about it. If your life is the sum total of all these different little pieces, if you start ripping tiles out of the mosaic, you will eventually deface the mosaic. It will become not the thing it was. It's like an anti-ship Athesius. Well, it's not. It's it's the this idea that if you replace everything, then you're not the same person anymore. You just need to look at Lizzie Wizzy. Yeah, exactly. That's that, a diff that's another one. That that whole storyline with her is all about that. In everything you do with the interaction in there, it is it is phenomenal. Like. If I had to pick one quest chain or one set of like character events that really frame the like the existential crisis of Cyberpunk 2077, it's those. It is it is what Matt is describing in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, it's this, it is very much a part and parcel of this game is this idea of when you can replace everything about a person down to like every part of their body and every part of their mind and memory. When are they not themselves anymore? And that's that's what's happening to your character. Um, you're literally being overwritten. There's a strong implication that the reason V goes from a kind of second tier wannabe who wants to mm -hmm. be like known and, and respected to someone who can take out anything is that parts of themselves have been overwritten already with it, Johnny. And not even just like memories, too. We're talking like full DNA level being like it is. Yeah. It is extreme, which is another th yeah. another thing that the the game this does more than the board game does, and I think is also another really interesting thing is talking about the the biomechanical side of it. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't mean like the cyberware; I mean like the actual because this was always a subplot 
of cyberpunk uh, on the tabletop that I think had like one or two source books about it, but then it just kind of like it wasn't the cool thing of Chrome, so it kind of fell aside, which was bioengineering. And so like there was this whole subsection of the game where instead of buying cybernetic upgrades, you would pay to have, uh, you know, that grown organs inserted into you or, you know, have your DNA being rewritten. Like if you ever saw Batman Beyond and you saw the splicers where they would pay to have like animal DNA spliced into them or uh, whatever to alter their appearances, basically gene therapy. That was a concept that originated back in some of the original cyberpunk books that some of the the old and in uh, the rich er, like Methuselahs of the world were trying to do because that was another avenue of them trying to perfect immortality. Yeah, and, like using Galapagos turtle DNA because yep. you want to extend life. What's really interesting, I think, in the way Cyberpunk 2017 does it, and then to try and bring it back before we move on to something else, is that the entire story is really about that question. Yep. The everything you experience, Night City itself, because that's the thing, Night City itself will also take everything from you and make you into somebody else. That's the thing. Even if you don't have a chip put in your brain that's rewriting your memories, even if AIs aren't experimenting on neuroplasticity to, to create new memories in your head, even if you're not giving away all your body parts to become like a, a maelstrom ganger and have like, you know, like spider eyes coming out of your forehead because you had them implanted, even if you just live there, the city takes the city mm-hmm. is taking from you. And who are you when it's taken all this stuff? What have you replaced it with? Who have you become? You look at Rogue. The character of Rogue, when you first meet her in 2020 in the flashbacks to the character of Rogue you meet in 2077, she is a different person. She remembers who she was, but she isn't that person anymore. She didn't have her memory erased. She just made choices. And those mm-hmm. choices changed her. And then you see like um, Carrie, Carrie Uridine, and the same thing different choices changed him in a different direction and it is just it is it deserves the praise it's getting for story like it, it just won an award from like the steam awards which whatever people voted it won a story award and it deserves that story award there are lots of problems with this game um but like look it this way there's a character uh, i went into this game actually being really worried about some an issue that i had read about that they didn't have the trans representation wasn't great. There, there was things about it that they did wrong. And that's true. I think mostly in character creation, they could have done it a lot better. I would agree. But there's a quest with a character named Claire Reynolds, who is trans, who openly has a trans flag on her car. And that's important because you can get her car. And mm-hmm. so you will be flying that flag. And more importantly, her being trans is just a thing that is she is a trans person. Yeah, it's not a major plot point or something it that's being yeah, used to like sell a story. It just is. Yeah, she's just trans, and she has a storyline. She has a, you know, a, a a trauma that happened in her past, but that trauma has nothing to do with her her being trans. It just is what she is, and it's actually really well done. And I've seen a lot of people talk about it. It's it's really fascinating how the story's subquests, the stories, the, the things that are not directly related to the message or the plot of the main story, feed into everything that makes that story the the main story. They are like, I would almost say objective correlatives, except that's not the proper term, but they, they're all like small fractal versions of the, of the main mm-hmm. idea, which is mm-hmm. that, you know, who are you after all this? Who, who, who were you? Who have you become once you've lose everything? Uh, once you lose Jackie, once you lose everything, who do you end up being? And who is that person? Even if you decide to keep going, the world is not going to stop. 
it's going to keep trying to crush you and you just have to figure out who you're going to be when you face up to it. There's a lot of stuff in that I really like. So in terms of, I hope that's enough discussion of it though, because I do want to move on. Yeah. Cause I mean, honestly, Adele, we could do this for a while. <laughs> this, yeah. We could do an entire lore watch about it. Maybe we will down the road. We could, uh, we, we that's it, not, not going to lie. And I'll be upfront with one of the things we talked about doing on lore watch is doing maybe some non blizzard games. The amount of people that have asked for cyberpunk 2077 is not just Adele. I've gotten a lot of DMS and a lot of, of, of direct messages. So it will happen at some point. Trust me. <laughs> Alrighty. So next up, uh, Liz, do you think you could read this one? Uh, sure. Simi asked for lore watch our blizzard watch imagine a world of warcraft if you will where we have the horde and alliance factions but in name only orcs can go to a stormwind and not raise it humans can go to orgrimmar without needing to fight garrosh playing uno playing the uno reverse card instead of all classes being able to play most uh instead of all classes being able to play most if not all classes Take us back to the vanilla days where Alliance had paladins, Horde had shamans. With the existing new playable races and classes, what other race-class combination would you restrict and what new classes would you create? I believe you mentioned Demon Hunter being Alliance only with new class coming to the Horde side. So go wild, please. Because hmm, I wouldn't restrict uh, class choice. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. So yeah. We should let Liz go first. <laughs> No, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. I think, uh, I think fewer class restrictions actually works. It is, it is an interesting idea, particularly with this idea of demon hunters being alliance only, because they were always uh, night elves, right? Am I correct there? Night elves in Warcraft Three, yeah. In in Warcraft Three, they were. Yeah. So, like, I mean, you could go and dig into the lore like that, but also. You know, why Why do you need to? If someone wants to play a blood elf and be a demon hunter, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, it's an elf thing, but we can expand on it. Uh, and also, I, I'm personally really fond of Horde having paladins because that was one of my first Horde characters. I really jumped over to the Horde in Burning Crusade, and I was one of those blood elf paladins. Uh, yeah, I think in general... Please don't take away it, my blessing and protection from Liz. Please don't. <laughs> I think in general, I, I never will support putting in restrictions that weren't once there. Like if you decide, okay, you, you want to have unique classes for the Alliance and the Horde, you'd need to introduce new ones saying, okay, no Paladins are just going to be Horde uh, being Alliance now. No, uh, there are people playing them on the Horde. Now you can't take those characters away from them. I would never support well, telling a blood elf. You can't be a demon hunter anymore because now it's just going to be an Alliance class. No, that ain't cool. Um, if you could introduce new ones, I wouldn't be as upset, but that I would never support. I think there's something to be said though, about the base idea. Like, and this is something I think we've talked about a lot too, and I don't want to take up too much time. And I want you guys to talk cause I just talked. All- um, but the idea of the factions becoming something that exists in name only is not a new concept. We've talked about it a lot, but I have this thing in my brain where maybe instead of having a main horde city and a main Alliance city, we go back to having almost a neutral city that involves both of them. That's co-built that cohabitates that, you know, you build up and you have respective portions that like feel very much, you know, traditional hordish or whatever. But instead of being like just horde, it's the elves have a district 
and then the orcs have a district and then the Torin have a district and the humans have a district or whatever. So that it's this conglomeration or metropolis metropolis feeling or metropolitan feeling area where the races can all exist and they can all intermingle without that sort of bad memory or bad blood. Cause the other thing that, that carries with it is the, the weight of Orgrimmar and Stormwind in general is there's already like a lot of, of emotion attached to it, regardless of what faction you currently play. You feel a certain way about them. They're iconic. They've been iconic to the stories for so long that I think if you're going to do away with everything that you have with that, that, uh, we know about the Horde and Alliance factions as of right now, you go full. You say that there is a place where there's, you know, they meet where it doesn't have those memories. It doesn't have the scars of war. It doesn't have the the death uh, beneath its streets like all of them do. You start clean and you build it up together and you have that intermingling. And I think that's, to me, that would be my ideal, Right. That would be my ideal World of Warcraft post-Warcraft 3. That story is done. The faction divide should be done. Let's let's actually start showing it. Let's start showing collaboration. And I would absolutely be all about that. And instead of limiting uh, classes back to what they were, like having the uh, Demon Hunters be Night Elves only or something like that, you have further loosening of the restrictions as these races intermingle. And learn from each other. Maybe Volpera learn how to become druids, which would be really neat, or whatever the case is. Maybe Mechanomes figure out, hey, I can turn myself into a mechanical cat. Uh, and, <laughs> and now you have mechanized druids. Like you could do some really cool things that would be very unique in that scenario. So that's my two cents. I will turn it back over to you guys. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a I think it's a great idea to, you know, just ditch the faction idea. And I think we already have in uh, in game lore, you know, places where you have friendships and characters that talk with each other and interact with each other who are of different factions, like the Sylvanas fight that we were just talking mm -hmm. about earlier. You are working with Thrall and Jaina and uh, Bolvar are all kind of working together and... Well, I won't really say they're helping you with the fight. <laughs> they're... I'm sorry. They're cheerleading. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I will build you a bridge. Why am I falling through there? Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> one, one small aside about the NPCs in that fight. In phase three, they are all standing on a platform, supposedly fighting with Anduin while you're fighting Sylvanas. And they, like, Bolvar is literally just standing there. Like, he doesn't swing his weapon. He is just standing there. I have spent time... You got this, guys. I've, I've spent time analyzing this while I was dead. And, you know, like, Anduin swings, like, once every five seconds, like, really slow. And Jaina throws, like, frost spells at him. And he sort of, like, bounces back because he's being hit with things. But he only swings, he swings his sword very slowly and very rarely. And Bolvar's like just there watching, hanging out. Um, and it's like, okay, okay, you're, you're helping. Y'all are being helpers over there. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, they are working together over there. They are helping each other and helping you, theoretically. And why do we see all of these big lore characters? 
show this kind of teamwork and show this kind of working together. And it's like at the beginning of Shadowlands, we're rescuing Jaina from the Maw. We're rescuing Bane from the Maw. We're we're getting everyone out of the Maw, regardless of faction. I have saved Bane Bloodhoof's life more as an Alliance character. <laughs> it's just like, at some point, it's like, uh, hi again, Bane. Do, do I get a frequent rescuer card? <laughs> There's 100% a punch card. You have rescued Bane 10 times. Next do time, I, Gammon does yeah. it for you. Do I get a cookie <laughs> at the at the at the uh, Thunder Bluff gift shop? I like those that those cards where you, you buy a cookie, and if you buy enough cookies, they give you another cookie. You get a free Alec plushie. Yeah, yeah. So just <laughs> seriously, Bane. Uh, between Warcraft three and this game, I've now rescued you like five times. Come on. We have actually hold on real quick before we have rescued Bane more times. Than we've rescued Corky and Burning Crusade. You may continue. <laughs> <laughs> It just seems so weird that we can rescue these characters. We can work side by side with these characters so many times. And we can't even have a conversation with a member of their race because it's an opposite faction and there's a hard line there. So it's like NPCs can do this, but we can't. So on a story level, I think it doesn't entirely make sense to have a hard faction divide. And on a game level, on a you know, real world level, it's always kind of frustrating when I can't play with my friends because my friends are over here playing Alliance and I'm over here playing Horde. And I just want to hang out with my friends and play video games. That's why is that so hard? So yeah, I think the faction divide is really artificial. And after so many years, it feels so unnecessary when we could all be together and playing together and having fun together and working together. And we just we just can't. That's something that's been made intrinsic to the game that to this point they have stuck with pretty hard. And I don't think I don't feel like we need it. I think feel like the game needs it. Yeah. Um I have two things to say really, really quickly, at least as quickly as I can, so probably t- ten minutes. Um first up is that to this day I believe that the the marketing for Battle for Azeroth poisoned the community mm-hmm. in a way that it never recovered from. It was monumentally short-sighted to actually make the players argue and hate each other to make that part of the game to make that part of the marketing where you you're like you go into a store and like you see the clerk's got a horde thing and you've got an alliance thing and the clerk stares at you and you stare at them and it's like oh it's tense it's like no that is not what you want from your player base even if you make them adversarial with each other they're going to be adversarial with you too and it, and it has it has been we have we have been reaping the poisonous fruit from a toxic tree. Mm-hmm. It's just it's always been bad, and it's it's gotten worse. So that's that's step one. That's my first thought on the fashion of it. My second one is the past couple of days. I have been thinking more about World of Warcraft than I have in quite some time uh, because it's 2022. I miss playing it with the people that I played it with. Um, I've been kind of going back and forth, coming back from time to time. And one of the things I've really been thinking about is what. I would like to see happen in world of Warcraft in the future, like the next expansion, the expansion after that. And I wrote a post about the faction divide where I said that I think we should keep the factions. They should still exist. The Horde and Alliance as entities in the game should still exist. They just shouldn't control what I do with my character. Um, Because it isn't, first off, it's not realistic to how real world political divides work, but that's, you know, it's a video game. They can do what they want there, but it's just, it's not credible for storytelling purposes even in their own fiction that they create for the game, like Liz just pointed out, 
you know, when you do a quest and you've got Thrall and Jaina and Bane and Bolvar and Anduin all like working together, if that's possible in the game, it should be possible for the people playing the game. I'd have my Sylvanas kill on normal on my Hunter if that was possible right now, and I'd be very happy. Yeah, like there should be, there's no reason you can't play an orc who doesn't want to go burn down like a bunch of elf forests for like, you know, what, what, what purpose does this serve? Why do I have to be involved? Why can't I just say no to it? Imagine if you'd actually, if the opening to battle for Azeroth, you could have told Sylvanas, no, I am not helping you do this. Like it would have changed that entire experience. It would have, a lot of people would have felt a lot better about themselves. Um, I'd still be playing my Tauren if that were the case. If I got to said, I'm not doing that. That's crazy. We just got done saving the world together. You, you want to go fight them now? Uh, and it's, in the future, what I would like to see is, sure, the Horde and Alliance as political entities are never really going to feel comfortable with each other. There's a lot of bad blood. There's a lot of stuff that would make their leadership tense and, and wary. But that doesn't mean we as players have to have that problem. You know, we can go join, you know, we can just create our own faction, create our own stuff. Just let us go do things together and let the politicians worry about their problems. And from time to time, they can offer us quests. And the great thing about being offered a quest is you can you can say, I'm not doing it. And that's fine. I, I, that's really, I wrote a thing about player housing t- today, and Liz pointed out that the best thing about that article wasn't the 20, the two, three paragraph preamble at the beginning. It was the part where I'm like, why don't we have player housing that actually does something? Why don't we have player housing that lets us fix these places that have been destroyed over the course of World of Warcraft's 18 years? Let's imagine if you got player housing and it was a homestead around Theramore and you rebuilt Theramore as part of your player housing, the quests and storyline of getting your own homestead and being able to customize it and doing all the stuff people want to do with it is that you rebuild this area that you build it in. And it doesn't have to be Theramore. It could be Undercity. It could be Anderhal. It could even be Orgrimmar because let's face it, Orgrimmar needs the help. Um, It doesn't know what it is anymore. It got rebuilt into this iron monstrosity, and now it's lost. It's lost a lot of what it was. Imagine if now that the horde doesn't want to have a war chief anymore, they want to change Orgrimmar to make it reflect who they are becoming. Hanging gardens. Boom. Let's do it. Build build a homestead. <laughs> now you've got a homestead in the area around Orgrimmar, and imagine that you could actually have a whole thing that the, if you have an Orgrimmar homestead, you now have the greening of Durotar, where they're finally going to make this place somewhere you can live. And, and have food grown there. And thus you don't have to go take land from other people because you can make the land you have worthwhile. And the other thing I thought about was imagine if you, in order to keep people involved in the world and not always just sitting on their homestead like they did in the garrison, imagine if a big part of that was you get a quest so you go to somebody else's homestead area. You don't necessarily have to go to somebody else's homestead, but you go to the area that the, the, where the other players are homesteading and you do things that are aimed at helping their homesteads that are, you know, if there's a bar that they have to fill to get to the next level, your character going there and you fill that bar, you help them out. So now you've, you've worked together. So these orcs are sitting there going, how are we going to deal with all these thunder lizards? And all of a sudden a bunch of night elves show up and shoot the thunder lizards for me. Like, you know, don't burn my city down again. And then Lee, you know, <laughs> And you could do that with Teldrassil. Imagine if you're like settling, you're trying to resettle Teldrassil. You're trying to like, the tree is still alive. So you're trying to bring it back and some orcs show up and help you. And now, you know, you still remember what happened. It isn't gone, but you can build things. You can start to build a bond between people that transcends their faction. 
because their faction shouldn't be this important. It all comes, what really is important though, and Matt said this a while ago, and I'm going to bring it back up. There are two things that we know will solve any faction divide, pigs and pumpkins. (laughs) Or no, there's one other thing. Oh yeah. Is there an NPC that will give me a small pet or a mount if I oh, do yeah, that's fair. things for them? Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, Horde and Alliance will both come. They're like, yeah, we're going to have a ridiculous tournament in the middle of the frozen waste surrounded by undead. <laughs> Why would we agree to this? I have a pet for you. I'm there! <laughs> Not even a unique pet. I don't care! So, but I think at this point, we're actually at the mark where we should start moving on. Uh, Yeah, I think Joe, actually we are... We are I mean, we could do another one, uh, but we're coming up on time pretty soon. No, I honestly can't this time. I have to go help with my pets. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's some meditation that has to be done. Fair enough. All right. Well, folks, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast sighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast with a queue, and an ad's free site experience. Thank you, Joe. Uh, in fact, before we move on and I do my little exit spiel, I want to thank both Joe and Liz uh, for doing podcasts with me, uh, especially as we go into 2022. I'm really hopeful for the future. Uh, I, I really have a lot of, I, I just straight up have a lot of hope that we'll see a, a better movement this year, just in general for a lot of different things. But I've really enjoyed working on this podcast and the other podcasts we do. I'm really excited about what we're going to cut up to in the future. Um, especially I'm going to say this, you guys, if you're, if you're not watching Tavern Watch, you are sleeping on our, on one of our best shows. I really, really, really think you should give Tavern Watch a listen if you're not already. So I wanted to throw that out there. Um, but yeah, uh, if you have a question for the show, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast of blizzard watch. Uh, so we know it's for the show, or you can go to our discord server and use either the patron Q and podcast questions channel or the Q questions channel. If you are not a patron, uh, we look forward to questions, not just on blizzard games, but on any game you want to talk about. Um, that's absolutely something we want to do more of. Hence the cyberpunk email and not because I just want to talk about cyberpunk for 20 minutes. No, that's insane. Why would that be the case? Um, <coughs> Yes, no one believes me. Uh, but, you know, thank you guys. Thank you for being here with us. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Um, Joe or Liz, you got a goodbye you want to say before we leave for the year? Not for, for the first <laughs> podcast of the year. <laughs> wow, that'd be, that'd be yeah. a pretty long wow. See you in 2023, guys. <laughs> Goodness. Uh, no, just thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next week, folks. I, I would like to throw out one little thing. If you were listening to this on your podcast player of choice, you will hopefully be seeing new podcast art for us, which was made by the ever lovely Noxie Chew. And man, I just, I'm so glad we got new art this year. I think beautiful. And uh, Noxie's just great. Noxie always does such great art for us. And we're going to have some uh, t-shirts and other merch with our new logo for the anniversary, which will be in February. Yeah. What is that year? Is that six years? Six years. Man. I know. <laughs> this Wild, is like, huh? This is like when I realized that it had literally been 10 years since Mass Effect 3 and my head sort of imploded. Um, I just realized that I wrote my last warrior column for the old place back six years ago. Yeah. <sighs> but yeah, guys, uh, thank you to Joe and Liz. Thank you to all of you for listening. And thank you to me for, I don't know, still being alive. Quite frankly, body, I'm, I'm really thrilled that you decided to keep going. It was very nice of you. <sighs> Uh, this has been the podcast and we'll be back next week, next week, not next week and a year. I don't, that was just, no, next week we will be here again.
Take it easy, everybody. Bye. Pumpkins.